Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, uh, it'll be on the board behind me where the apostle paul writes to the church in philippi and he says further my brothers and sisters rejoice in the lord is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you watch out for those dogs those evildoers those mutilators of the flesh for it is we who are the who are the circumcision we who serve god by his spirit who boast in christ jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Thanks, Dave. Well, good morning once again. Uh, it is really, really good to gather, t- gather together with you today. Oh, this is falling. Let's tighten that. Oh. There we go. We're good. Uh, it's really good to gather. It's been a really encouraging morning already. Uh, enjoyed the opportunity to connect with a bunch of you uh, before the service. Looking forward to connecting even further after the service. If you missed it, my name is Dave. Uh, I do work with Open Doors, uh, and it is my privilege to uh, lead us as we uh, reflect upon the word that we've just heard read out. Uh, and it's my privilege uh, to, um, yeah, share stories of what God is doing uh, around the world through our persecuted brothers and sisters. Uh, through the the work of Open Doors. Uh, Just quickly, if you were interested in giving towards uh, the Turkey and Syrian earthquake emergency response, there will be a link on the screen pretty much the whole way through this morning. Uh, That'll actually take you to a Bible appeal, which I'll talk about at the end, Uh, but if you go to that link and just click on the Give tab, uh, it's really clear uh, how you could give a one-off gift um, towards uh, that particular appeal at the moment. But look, the, um, the headline that I said earlier on in the interview is, one of my goals today is simply to come here and say thank you. Uh, thank you for the way that your church are generously and sacrificially supporting our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, over the last four years or so, your church, Southside, uh, have given almost $25,000 uh, towards strengthening our persecuted family. Uh, that is a gift 
to our family, that is a gift from you to them, uh, and I hope and trust that the more you personally uh, connect in with what God is doing amongst the persecuted church, that they'll also be a gift to you, that you will be spurred on by their commitment to Christ's mission in their world, uh, and that you too will give yourself to Christ's mission in your world. Uh, I'm personally encouraged, really encouraged by Ross and I've spent a fair bit of time with Ben as well uh, and just the way this is a church seeking to be on mission, it is encouraging for me to, to pick that up uh, over weeks and, and months before coming here today and even just the DNA of this church wants to lift up the name of Jesus, very encouraged that five people have become Christian last year through Alpha, let's pray for ten this year, let's pray that many more would come to know Jesus as you uh, step out on mission, making much of him. But why don't we pray one more time? We've prayed a few times. Let's pray that God would speak to us powerfully uh, through the word that we've just heard read out. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And Father, we ask that right now you would give us ears to receive your word. Uh, Father, that by the power and the illumination of your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding to know what it means. And Father, give us the desire and the will to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently through Jesus Christ, our risen, ruling and returning King. Amen. Question, what difference does following Jesus make in our lives? Uh, This is an important question for those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus, but it's also an important question for those of us who may not yet be followers of Jesus. Perhaps you're interested in Jesus, that's why you're here, uh, and it's important to understand what it will mean, therefore, to belong to Him. Now, following Jesus is at the heart of the ministry of Open Doors. For almost 70 years, Open Doors have been part of strengthening persecuted Christians. How? By helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. As I said before, roughly one in uh, seven Christians, 360 million of our brothers and sisters on this planet suffer high to extreme levels of persecution simply because they follow Jesus. And at Open Doors, we believe that the persecuted church can be one of the most significant discipleship mentors in your Christian faith. And so, in response to the question, what difference should following Jesus make in our lives, we can learn something of what this looks like by seeing the way that persecuted followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Uh, Now, I've recently returned from a life-changing time in Egypt, visiting the field with open doors. Uh, And one of the Bible passages um, that came to mind for me personally, the whole time we we journeyed uh, around Egypt and spent time with our persecuted brothers and sisters there, was Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Who's heard of this verse? Three people, okay, five people, yeah, we're awake, amazing. An incredible verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a verse that is all about following Jesus and it gets to the heart of the difference that following Jesus makes to our life and to our death. Now, my hope is that today uh, you will learn how to live out this verse as you hear the stories of our courageous brothers and sisters, in particular in Egypt, who are living and dying for Christ. 
You see, what Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 introduces us to, in Philippians chapter 3, our Bible reading from this morning, the Apostle Paul, I think, fleshes out this idea. So, if you've got a Bible, keep it out and keep it open. The verses will also be up, most of the verses will be up on the screen. And so, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1, it says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You know, Paul in this moment has an accounting hat on and uh, he has two columns. A profit, profit and loss statement is about to be read out. Uh, we've got the profit uh, column, we've got the loss column, and in the loss column, what does he have? He has his family, he has his religious deeds, he has his tribal identity, he has his education, he has his zeal, and he calls them loss. And in the prophet column, there is one thing. What's in the prophet column? Christ. Look in verse 8, he actually puts everything in the lost column. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Now, why does, he, why does he put literally everything in the lost column? It's because of Christ. And as we'll see in the next few verses, it's because of knowing Christ, it's because of gaining Christ, and it's because of trusting Christ. Look, verse 8 continues, he says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? Knowing Christ. Not just knowing about Christ, but having a relationship with Christ. Knowing Him intimately. And when you know that Christ is of infinite value, you can count everything else as a loss. More than that, verse 8 continues and he says, for His sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Listen, losing everything is okay when you gain Christ. You see, we consider everything else, not just the bad things in our lives, but also the good things, the right things in our life. They are rubbish. Like literally the idea behind the word there is they are dung compared to gaining Christ. Losing all things and gaining Christ is an unbeatable trade. Your religiosity, your possessions, your wins, even your family are rubbish 
compared to possessing the greatest treasure in the whole world, knowing and gaining Christ. But wait, there's more. Verse, uh, verse 9, he continues and says, and be found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's worth just pausing here for a moment to reflect on this sentence. And look, one of the things, uh, if you're new to the Bible, um, uh, the Bible makes it very clear. The Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, makes it very clear that God is righteous, that God is holy, that, that God is set apart, that God is good. And if God is righteous, we learn, uh, then in order to stand in His presence, we learn that we also need to be righteous. Now, there's two ways to be righteous. You ready for them? Number one is to do it through our obedience to the law. How's that going for you? It's actually impossible to be righteous based on your obedience to the law because you've broken the law. You've fallen short of God's glory. And so thanks be to God, there is a second way to be made righteous. And we see it in this text here. We, we receive righteousness as a gift by trusting in Christ. The word faith is just trusting in Christ by having faith in Christ. Christ Jesus. You see, the reason why we, here on the south side of Brisbane, the reason why they, believers in Egypt and Syria and Turkey and Yemen, the reason why any of us can stand righteous is not because of anything we do, any laws we keep. We stand righteous because of Christ. He kept the laws on our behalf. He lived a perfect righteous life in our place and then He died a sacrificial death in our place and for our sin. Now, we don't have time to turn there now but you're probably familiar with Philippians chapter 2 and in Philippians chapter 2 we meet Jesus. We meet Jesus, the one who is in very nature God, the, the, the Creator of the heavens and the earth entered into His creation. He became a man, choosing to serve, choosing humility, choosing obedience. And remember, it says obedience even to death upon the cross. It is only through trusting in Christ and what He has done that, that we stand as righteous in the presence of God. That's good news for your Sunday morning, amen? Amen, three people, amen. It's good news for your Sunday morning, amen? Amen. amen. But, <laughs> if that's not enough, look at, look at the paragraph in the section how it concludes. He goes on and he says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The good news just keeps piling up as you continue to read the passage. Death could not hold Jesus down. The hope that is now ours through Jesus, through knowing Christ, is that yes, as verse 10 says, we will share in His sufferings and we will share in His resurrection. Just as Jesus' tomb is empty, our tombs will also be empty. That is good news. Listen carefully, regardless of what you face in this life, regardless of the hardship that you are called to endure, 
regardless of the, the, the horrible situations that perhaps you find yourself in now, and perhaps you're about to find yourself in days, weeks, months, years to come, regardless, listen carefully, regardless of what the future, regardless of what we face in this life, the future is always bright. It's a resurrection future for those who know, gain and trust in Christ. You know, one of the things that I was uh, looking forward to um, about our recent trip to Egypt was just leaning in a little bit closer to some of the persecution stories that I've read about and even prior to working for Open Doors, I'd preached about and shared about stories that had, that had previously moved me. It was our uh, second full day in Egypt, uh, we'd just been out in the silence of the desert, visiting a monastery, that's a whole other story, and we came back to the hustle and the bustle of downtown Cairo. We arrived through heavy security at El Botrasia Church, the scorching mid-afternoon heat upon our backs, the constant cacophony of honking horns around the perimeter of the church compound. I didn't realise, though, just how close we were about to get with these stories that I was already familiar with. In a matter of seconds, we were retracing the steps of a suicide bomber. Step one, the wrong door. Immediately, we were shown exactly where the suicide bomber had walked in off the street at 10 a.m., on Sunday, the 11th of December, 2016. Now, those familiar with Egyptian church culture would know that men sit on the left and women sit on the right of the church. And so, this newcomer who's come in off the street started walking briskly towards the door on the right. One man, Nabil, noticed and instantly ran after this newcomer, wrapping his arms around him, and just after he'd entered the women's door, on the right, and at that moment, the bomb was detonated. Step two is the black tile. Just a couple of meters inside that back door, we stood on a black tile that is placed on the ground as part of the post-bombing refurbishment. This was where the suicide bomber ended the lives of these ordinary followers of Jesus, just simply gathering for Sunday morning worship, as we are right now. We stood in that place and we remembered those martyrs. Step three is the pillar. As a result of the explosion, 28 women and girls were killed, as well as Nabil, and it would have been many, many more, but for the heroic intervention of that observant brother in Christ. You can see the shrapnel marks that remain on the internal pillars of the church. They made an indelible impression upon me too. Step four is the blood. Outside the church, they've, they've put glass uh, over some of the blood still splattered on the walls 40 metres away from ground zero to remember those whose blood was shed. 
Step five is the aftermath. On the day of our visit, just two metres from that black tile, we had the privilege of meeting this man on the screen, Ashrav. He is the twin brother of Nabil. Listen to these extraordinary words from Ashrav that he shared with us on that day. He said this, the sight of the blood and the bodies in the aftermath of the explosion was unbearable, of course. But knowing that Nabil is now crowned in heaven gives me strength. God has supernaturally filled me with condolence, comfort and peace. Incredible words. We followed that up by asking Ashrav, you know, are people still worried and fearful of coming to church? His response, he said this, every day that we have a liturgy, every day the church is full. In Brisbane, if there's a bit of rain on Sunday, we're not talking about the flooding rain, it's coming up to a year since some pretty major flooding, but a little bit of drizzle. Many churchgoers kind of survey the situation and perhaps avoid church on that day. And yet, look at the lessons from our persecuted brothers and sisters. Rather than shrinking back in fear, persecution brings greater resolve. These Christ followers, they don't give up meeting together, but adversity draws their community together. We went to multiple churches where multiple things had happened and multiple large-scale attacks on church buildings and fires on church buildings and the message was consistent, that something that was supposed to cause them to disperse, to destroy Christianity, actually caused more people to gather in, more Christians to lean in, more Christians to give themselves to Christ and His people. You know, back in Philippians 1, there's, there's a lot about persecution and the spread of the gospel in Philippians, isn't there? But back in Philippians 1, we, we even read of how Paul says, his imprisonment for Christ, he says, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that amazing? That's the New Testament pattern. The imprisonment of believers stirs within the hearts of those who aren't imprisoned a greater boldness that this matters. This message must be made known, must be spread around the world. And the believers in that church, El Botrasia, they continue to speak the Word of God without fear, in a place where there are so many reasons to fear. What a beautiful example of, of, of people who understand Philippians 3, of people who understand what it means to know, gain and trust in Christ. You know, on the desert highway that morning, before we even got a chance to visit this particular church, our tour guide said these powerful words. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the irrigation of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the irrigation of the church. That is, as perse persecution increases, the Egyptian church continues to meet, continues to disciple, continues to evangelize and continues to grow and it's blood, it's the blood of these martyrs that fuels that growth as people count the cost of what it will mean to follow Jesus in a land like that. After we, 
after we visited that bomb site, we uh, went next door to a, a bigger church, the St. Mark's Cathedral. Uh, this thing was massive and we learned all about the story of St. Mark the Evangelist, the guy that wrote Mark's Gospel in the New Testament. He's the one who brought the Gospel of Jesus Christ to Egypt. Remarkable story, love to share more of that with you sometime. But after we kind of learnt about him downstairs in the main cathedral, we, we kind of made our way through a maze of stairs, up a rickety lift and into a back room of the cathedral. Now, we got to go do the normal tourist things in, in Egypt and visit pyramids and so on. I don't think this particular room is on the tourist map. I don't think you're going to find this one particularly easily unless someone takes you to it. And this was a confronting and a solemn experience because we visited something that is called the Martyr's Hall. The Martyr's Hall. And this was the moment that I'd been waiting for since I actually learnt about our travel itinerary. Rewind for a moment to a story I still remember learning about in 2015. There were 21 foreign workers, 20 men from Egypt and one man from Ghana who were working in the country next door to Egypt, also in North Africa, in Libya. Now, terrorists kidnapped these men. Why? Simply because they identified as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, these 21 foreign workers were forced into a camp for three weeks and each day, they were urged to deny Christ, to turn from their life, to turn from their faith and to save their life. And yet, as the three weeks went on, the pressure grew more intense and all 21 of these men stood firm in Christ, refusing to deny their allegiance to their Lord and Saviour. Courageous men who knew that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so consequently, in January 2015, you may remember this, they were marched out onto a Libyan beach in orange overalls and executed brutally at the hands of extremists. This act of brutality was filmed and then broadcast around the world. I still remember the horror of learning that story when the news first broke in 2015 and I also remember being inspired by the immediate and reflexive words of love, grace and gospel confidence from the pastor of many of the, many of the Egyptian men who were martyred. Seventeen of them came from the one church. Listen to these words from the pastor. He said, from the Egyptian church to Isis, we love you and have pity on you. We can make an enemy of someone who cuts us off in traffic. You ever want to talk about having an enemy? I'm pretty sure when you have 17 members of your congregation who are brutally murdered because of their faith in Jesus, that feels like the enemy. And yet, look at these words. We love you and have pity on you and pray that God may open your eyes so that you can see the true light in Jesus Christ. We're not intimidated by your threats. Death is a vanquished enemy for us. Vanquished, get this, by the power of the Christ in His resurrection from the dead. We are not armed and we're not militant, but our prayers are stronger than all your weapons. Isn't that a stunning response? 
here is a, a faith community, a Christian community who, who know, gain and, and trust Christ even in the face of such tragedy. And this faith community believe in the resurrection of the dead. They know that death is not the end for those who belong to Jesus. It was a solemn moment hearing uh, our tour guide retell this whole story of these 21 faithful men and the otherworldly response of their Christian community in the face of such adversity. Now, before we went into the Martyrs' Hall, my expectation was that we were going to see 21 monuments of those 21 courageous men who were martyred on that Libyan beach. That's what I thought we were signing up for when we walked into the Martyrs' Hall. The reality there was so much more to see. Yes, we saw the monuments of these 21 men. Unsurprisingly, we also saw a further 29 monuments for those killed in the, the bomb blast next door at El Botrasia in 2016. But more than that, there were multiple rooms with hundreds of monuments, hundreds of ordinary people with portraits on the wall a quote about their life and a box with some keepsakes. It was haunting to walk past monument after monument after monument. And yet the image that remained most vividly etched in my memory that day was the discovery of a whole line of empty monument boxes. Why were they empty? Well, they know that there's more blood to be shed. The boxes will be filled. You know, in many ways, the expectation for followers of Jesus in Australia is that hopefully following Jesus won't interrupt my schedule or bring about too much discomfort. The expectation for ordinary followers of Jesus in Egypt is that one day, your picture and your plaque may be displayed above one of those boxes. What a challenge. And what an opportunity to know and believe the certain victory that is ours in Christ. To believe those words of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, may share His sufferings, yes, but becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What a powerful example of ordinary. I underline the word ordinary. There's nothing particularly special about these Christians. They are ordinary men, women, and even children who demonstrate to us what it means to believe the gospel to live for Christ and to die for Christ, knowing that death is gain. You know, we began with the question of what difference does following Jesus make in our lives? Well, we may not lose our life because of a suicide bomber. We may not uh, be met with some type of violent end because we're followers of Jesus. And yet we need to nonetheless give our lives up to Christ. We need to truly believe that for to me to live is Christ, it's all about Jesus and to die is gain. The persecuted church around the world, the persecuted church in Egypt can teach us to live for Christ and to die for Christ, to know that even premature death 
and departure from this life is gain. Do you have that perspective? Does this help give you that perspective? To, to know that it is gain because we get more of Christ. Gain because we will see His face. Gain because it is worth giving up everything for the sake of the one who gave up everything for us. You see, the persecuted church around the world can teach us to hold fast to Christ amid the threat even of martyrdom because we know, as they know, that death is not the end for those who trust in Christ. Jesus is victorious over the grave and our tombs will be empty on that last day. On the um, second last day in Egypt, we visited a church called the Hanging Church, a third century church. That's just mind-blowing. There's a church been there for 1,800 years. Remarkable history in this particular church, but while we're in this church, we, we noticed in the main church part a whole bunch of more boxes. They were filled with relics, that is, the bones of martyrs from the first few centuries when Christianity first spread to Egypt. Here were boxes, more ordinary people who were killed because of their faith in Christ. And so, visiting this church at the end of our time in Egypt was almost like a bookend. At the beginning of our trip, we walked around among monuments of those who've recently given up their lives for Christ. And at the end of our trip, we walked among monuments of those who have given up their lives for Christ a long time ago. Now, it was a little bit confronting seeing some people walking up to these boxes and kind of touching them and, and praying in front of them. Let's be honest, it's not a normal part of being a Protestant Christian in Australia to kind of walk up to a box of bones and kind of pray in front of them. But our tour guide, he helped to demystify even what was going on in that moment. He said, no, they're not praying to the relics but rather they're walking around being inspired by their stories, reminded of their faith. Our tour guide said these remarkable words, he said, these monuments are an assembly of Christ lovers. We're here to simply learn from them. As we walk past their relics, we remember their faith and pray that we too will be courageous. Christianity in this nation really is built on the blood of the martyrs. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, an assembly of Christ lovers? Brothers and sisters, I hope that you are encouraged to learn from the persecuted church, from those in history long past and even those in our own day, to follow Jesus in life and in death, that we would be a people who would learn from the assembly of Christ lovers how to truly know Christ gain Christ and trust Christ. Look, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, I'm so glad that you are here today. I hope you'll come back next week and the week after and the week after. This is a great place to learn more about Jesus, to keep considering the claims about who He is and what He has done. And, and perhaps today, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it's a, a little bit confronting, that's to be expected. It might even sound like a really bad sales pitch for Christianity. What? I might get killed? <laughs> what, what am I signing up for? And yet the truth is, hear this, it is worth giving up everything. It is worth giving up every comfort of this life for the sake of knowing Christ. He, he is worth it. 
He loves you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose from the grave for you. And Jesus gives eternal hope to all those who trust in Him. It is worth giving up your life to Jesus now that, that your life will be secure forever in Him. If you want to start following Jesus, let me urge you to come along to the events that are coming up soon. But don't even wait for those events. If you're ready, you've been hearing these things about Jesus and you're ready to go, I want to follow Him. Do it today. Come and chat with me. Come and chat with Ross. Come and chat with Ben. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to put your trust in Christ, to follow after Him, no matter the cost. Now, the reality is, I know that Sunday by Sunday, the majority of the people who gather here, though, are already followers of Jesus. And so, by way of response to what you've heard today, there's uh, three things that you can do off the back of what you've heard. Uh, number one is learn, number two is pray, number three is give. Uh, number one, learn. Keep learning from our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. Keep learning their stories, keep being inspired by their faith. Number two is pray. Pray for them. Just a quick show of hands if you already receive prayer updates from Open Doors. That's a decent number. I reckon a church like this, that is such a big supporter of what Open Doors do, I would love to see that number triple of arms that go up. Can I urge you, if you do nothing else off the back of what you've heard today, is sign up to receive prayer, either in the mail or in your email. Uh, there's a link up on the screen, uh, take a photo of that, do it right now, that'll literally take you 30 seconds to fill out your details, or at least take a photo and fill it out later on, uh, opendoors.org.au slash Southside Praise, it's a link just for you, uh, but we'd love to see as many people as possible praying, uh, and one of the things we even saw in Egypt, the constant request as we met believers was, you'll pray for us, won't you? You know, they know that we come back to Australia to share in churches. You'll encourage the churches to pray for us, won't you? Brothers and sisters, pray for our brothers and sisters, that they would, that God would strengthen them to keep trusting Jesus. Remarkably, they don't even ask that persecution would end. And Open Doors doesn't exist to end persecution, that'd be easy. We'd say, don't take Jesus so seriously. Maybe convert to the dominant religion of your country. Forget about Jesus, we could end persecution tomorrow. But the goal is not to end persecution, the goal is that God would strengthen His people even amid the fiercest of persecution, that they would keep trusting Jesus no matter the cost. Learn, pray and give. Uh, as we've said a number of times this morning, if you're already giving to the ministry of Southside, you are already part of supporting our persecuted family and so here for the 15th time this morning, thank you. Thank you for contributing, thank you for partnering with our persecuted family around the world. But it might well be that today, even just off the back of what you've heard, you'd love to give over and above uh, what you're regularly giving to church, uh, and so you're very welcome to do that. Uh, we always have Bible campaigns uh, uh, taking place. Open Doors began as an organisation that smuggled Bibles across borders to persecuted believers and getting the Bible into the hands of persecuted believers continues to be a really significant thing that we do and also getting the Bible into the hands of unbelievers in hard-to-reach places. Uh, and so, $20 will actually help you to deliver God's Word. Uh, you can see the link up on the screen, that's also in the insert in your uh, uh, newsletter that you received and I've got a bunch of those over there as well. But thank you. 
Uh, again, thank you so much for the way that you already are supporting uh, the work of Open Doors. Uh, thank you for leaning in to learn some stories today. Uh, thank you to those who sign up to pray. Uh, we are so glad to partner with you in that way. And likewise, those who are in a position to give over and above, thank you for helping to bring hope uh, to persecuted Christians. Uh, I'm uh, going to kind of be at that table, we'll move it over into the, the morning tea space after the service, would really love to meet you, would really love to connect with you if you've got questions, if you want to grab a whole bunch of free resources, come and see me, uh, it's been a, a privilege to be here, but why don't I conclude now uh, by praying uh, for our persecuted family and praying for ourselves as well. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we are the people of God. Uh, Father, there, there, there aren't multiple churches, there's one church, there's one body, uh, there's one global church of all those who belong to you and so, Father, we want to thank you for those in the global church who are currently being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Father, we want to thank you for them, we thank you for their faith, we thank you for their hope, we thank you for their love and, Father, we thank you that they are an example to us of what does it mean to, um, to know Christ, to gain Christ and to trust Christ even in the most horrible of circumstances. Father, would you work in them? today. Uh, we've already prayed, but we pray again for our, our brothers and sisters, particularly in the Middle East and, and Syria and Turkey, and we recognize that even in the context of disaster, Christians can be persecuted then and be blocked from aid then, and so, Lord, would you be with them? Would you strengthen them? Would you help them to shine the light of Christ? And Father, would you help um, us to keep being inspired by these brothers and sisters, that we too would stand boldly for Christ? that we would keep trusting Jesus no matter the cost. We thank you that Jesus lived, died and rose again for us. We thank you so much for all that he has done and the resurrection hope that is ours through him. And Father, I thank you and, and praise you for my brothers and sisters here at Southside. Thank you for the generosity they've already shown. Uh, thank you for their partnership with your global family. Uh, Lord, may you continue to bless them. May you continue to keep them. Uh, may you continue to shine your face upon them and give them peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray for all these things. Amen.